Today on Blue 58, the Packers had a truly embarrassing loss in London. Is there any room for hope? Who's going to fix this? Can it be fixed at all? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. And I am happy, regardless of the outcome, which, you know, we will talk about at some length here, but... It it was good to see some of what went on on Sunday. The stadium was gorgeous. The crowd looked awesome. And I was, again, before all of the things that happened on Sunday, I am so happy for all of the fans over there who got to see the Packers in person for the first time. Because I remember my first time seeing the Packers at Lambeau Field. All of the stuff that I got to do growing up, just kind of taking for granted, you know, being right down the road from the Packers, right down the road, an hour away. Still, with an easy, easy drive of seeing the Packers whenever I wanted to, essentially, seeing so many of you get to experience that was great. And that was about the only good thing from Sunday. As far as the game itself, I don't have a whole lot to say that you probably haven't heard elsewhere. As I said last week, we were on vacation out of town, so I didn't see the game live, uh, so I didn't do a podcast after the game. But watching the game back, knowing what was going to happen, it, it was a strange experience because it, I knew it was going to be bad. But I, I was surprised even so how it was bad. It reminded me of a quote that I've kind of paraphrased other times on this show. It's from Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. A guy's asking another guy how he went bankrupt, and the second guy says two ways. Gradually. Then suddenly, how did the Packers lose to the Giants? Gradually, then suddenly. Watching it back, knowing how it all ends, it was like, oh, things are coming along. We're winning. We're way up. Okay, we're still ahead. This isn't, this isn't terrible. Okay, we're losing. It's not, not the end of the world. We've got plenty of time here. And then all of a sudden, it's just over. Fourth and two, the ball gets batted down, and that's the end of the game. And it doesn't feel quite right. It's like things didn't add up. It was strange following along with the game too as it happened because things got bad gradually, then suddenly. There was a time when I was away from any update from the game uh, between when the Packers were up 20 to 10 and down 27 to 20. You don't have the opportunity to always focus 100% on on any one thing when you've got two little kids around. And when you're in an unfamiliar location, that kind of ramps up in a new way. But Sunday morning, we were out doing stuff, enjoying some gorgeous fall weather where we were at, got an early lunch, picked up a burrito, got back to where we were staying. And in between getting in line to get the burrito and getting home, that's when it went from up 10 to down 7. And it just kind of came apart real fast, slowly, then suddenly, gradually, then suddenly. The offense was bad, but it also never looked lost, which was the strange part because it was very clearly execution more than process. That's not to say the process was perfect, but the process was was sound. Aaron Rodgers misses some deep throws. A couple of those had really heavy contact. The Giants very clearly were playing a make them call it kind of performance just counting on the refs to to just not want to throw a flag on every single play. And that's how things ended up going. 
some of those were, were definitely bad throws from Rodgers. But the process was there. If you, if you think you can throw it, throw it. Except they were also running the ball pretty well and should probably have run it more. But execution on top of that process issue being sound, execution, even if it's just a couple of percentage points away from being better, that's a big problem, especially in the Packers' RPO-heavy offense. And we'll talk about that particular approach here in a second. The defense, look, penalties were a big part of the story. Two penalties took away sacks. Another one changed a field goal to a touchdown. Joe Barry's approach notwithstanding, that's the game right there. That probably changes it from a loss to a win. But the approach, the approach is just so passive. I watched things back on the condensed replay, so cut out all the the dead time between plays and stuff, and it really stands out watching things back like that, how often the defensive backs were playing off because plays are coming every five, seven seconds, something like that. Play after play after play after play. The Packers are lining up five yards, eight yards, ten yards off of receivers, and guys are still just running through zones, unimpeded. There is no handoff. There is no dictating to the offense how you want things to be run. And it's just the same week after week after week. And so here we are, week five, Packers are three and two, and they're probably just a couple of solid special teams performances, probably against the the Patriots and the Buccaneers from being one and four. And really, I think it boils down to three people, Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, and Joe Barry. We've seen failures from all three of those guys. And I want to talk about them from most fixable, I think, to least fixable. And then there's a bunch of questions out there from you guys. I want to take a second and get to those about this game because I got more questions after this game than probably any other one in a long time. But let's talk about those three guys first. Starting with Aaron Rodgers. There are a lot of problems here. Three big ones come to mind for me. First is the accuracy on on deep balls. He's just not executing. And it's been a trend for several years now. It used to be kind of confi- confined to the deep left portion of the field. Now it's pretty much everywhere. He does not hit deep balls consistently and doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a can't thing. It just he doesn't. And I think that ties into there being poor mechanics at play here too. And we've seen poor mechanics from Aaron Rodgers for a long long time. That's not news. But it seems like there's a, in on top of the poor mechanics, there's a casualness about his approach to these deep throws that almost makes you wonder if it's a focus sort of thing. I have a hard time pinning down exactly what it is, but something is off there and it's not, it's not good. It's hurting the Packers. He can't throw it equally accurately on deep balls or isn't throwing it accurately on the deep balls. And it's holding the offense back in a, in a big way. The other big problem here is some decision makings, especially on, on RPO plays. So run pass option, Aaron Rodgers comes to the line with the option of either handing the ball off to AJ Dillon or Aaron Jones, or usually throwing a quick throw. In the best of times, that can be a devastatingly effective offense because Aaron Rodgers generally makes optimal decisions. But what if you figured out a way 
to make those optimal decisions actually work against the Packers' offense. Wink Martindale seemed to have solved that, and that's been generally, I think, the trend for defenses this year, broadly speaking. Because what you do is if you want to force Aaron Rodgers into a suboptimal decision, you take away the Packers' run, so you put however many guys in the box it takes to make a run-pass option, lean-pass, so take away the run portion of the RPO, then you back off and just prevent any run after the catch. Get him to commit to the pass, make the checks down, check downs all there is. And so the Packers just end up in kind of the spiral of death, check down RPO offense. Are there fixes there? Well, you hope Aaron Rodgers gets a little bit more accurate on the deep balls. And you hope maybe you just get into some more, you almost have to play a little bit more suboptimally against in the RPO scheme to bring your offensive long just because you're handing it to two of your most reliable playmakers on offense, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, because the Giants couldn't stop him. But the numbers always showed pass in RPO situations, so Rodgers passed, and, well, you end up with kind of just a bunch of checkdowns and short options and things like that. I don't know what the fix is for this last one, but it does, again, seem like there is a a group of guys Rodgers trusts and guys that Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust. And I've kind of poo-pooed the idea of Rodgers not trusting young receivers in the past. He should be throwing to Romeo Dobbs more. And he's looking to other guys at the expense of Romeo Dobbs, who is frequently more open than Alan Lazard or Randall Cobb or even Robert Tunyon. I don't know how you get Aaron Rodgers to do that, but it does seem like it would fall under the scope of the next guy on the list. Matt LaFleur has some problems here. There is the reliance on RPOs on offense, which is something that we've we've talked about in the, in the Rodgers segment here. There is Aaron Rodgers hyperfixating on a few guys. There is Royce Newman continuing to exist on offense. There is for some reason, the Packers wasting a roster spot on Amari Rodgers. And many of those tie back either exclusively or primarily to Matt LaFleur. I don't have a fix for getting Aaron Rodgers to throw to other people, but I am also not the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Getting Aaron Rodgers to do things he's not entirely comfortable doing for the good of the team is literally Matt LaFleur's job. That's what he's here to do. Get Aaron Rodgers to do the smart things, not the things that he wants to do. That's what Mike McCarthy had to do with Brett Favre before. That's what Matt LaFleur has to do with Aaron Rodgers now. You have to get him to do the things that he doesn't want to do. Or it's going to tank the season. Part of that is going to boil down to just calling more straight runs. Runs with no checks out of them. Because that is the way forward for the Packers offense right now. Long term, it's still going to come down to how well Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball because you cannot win any NFL games or you can't win NFL games long term with an exclusively run-heavy approach, especially the kind of running the Packers will have to do. Traditional running back heavy run game. 
If you're doing something crazy like the Baltimore Ravens can do or any of the other running quarterback-oriented offenses, okay, that's a different discussion. But the Packers are still going to have to throw the ball, and they're going to have to throw it efficiently, and Aaron Rodgers hasn't done that. But for right now, to get the offense on track, they need to run the ball more, and they need to be running in situations where Rodgers cannot check out of those runs. I don't know how you get him to make suboptimal decisions in the RPO game. I don't know how you get him to be more accurate on deep balls. I don't know how you get him to throw the ball to guys he doesn't apparently want to throw the ball to. You can at least do that if you're Matt LaFleur. If you do that, and if you get Royce Newman off the field, you're headed in the right direction. Finally, we've got Joe Barry. The biggest problem with Joe Barry is that he's the defensive coordinator in Green Bay. He was, I think we can say pretty confidently now, not a good hire. He is uncreative. He is not maximizing his personnel. And he can't seem to fix the same recurring problems week in and week out. Pro Football Focus sent out a little thing just today, maybe today or yesterday. I don't know. It's not really important. But the Packers are getting murdered on crossing routes. And yes, that comes down to player execution. But if you can't get your players to execute now in week five, whose problem is that? We know it's not a talent problem on defense because Jair Alexander has played well. Rasul Douglas has played well. Eric Stokes has played well. Adrian Amos has played well. Darnell Savage, though not playing particularly well now, has played well in the past. Well in the past. Devondre Campbell has played well. Quay Walker has played well at times this season. If you can't figure out how to make it work with that personnel grouping, it might not be the personnel. Even if the personnel aren't executing as they should, if you keep having the same problems again and again and again, when does it stop being about the people on the field? I don't know how you fix this in season. We just know it's a screaming huge problem right now. And we also know that there are times when the Packers defense has played well or can play well. Play well. If you look at even early in the Giants game, the Packers defense was all over the field. They were stopping runs before they started. The Giants passing game had no chance early on. What changed? Same guys are out on the field. There were no major injuries. Was the offense for the Giants really that different in the second half from the first half? I doubt it. Why... Do these same same problems keep popping up? Guys playing off again and again and again and again. Guys getting burned on the same kind of routes again and again and again and again. It's an execution problem the first few times. If they're still having problems executing here more than a month into the season, there's another problem at work here. And it's got to be a coaching issue. It has to be. If you can't get that fixed... How can you call yourself a professional football coach with guys that have been pro bowlers, with guys that have been all pros, with guys that have all the physical tools in the world? If you can't put Eric Stokes in a situation where he can run with a guy competently, if you can't put Quay Walker in a situation where he can flash some athleticism, if you can't get Rasul Douglas and Jair Alexander lined up in situations that maximize their skills, you're probably just not that good of an NFL coach. And I think we knew that when Joe Barry was hired a year and a half ago now. 
Patreon shoutouts. Take a breath here before we answer some questions. Got a lot of good questions. But first, I want to give some, some Patreon shoutouts to Solemn John, Lucas Leipert, and Derek Depot. Each of them generous Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Really appreciative of everybody who um, chooses to chip in on Patreon. I do a pay-what-you-want sort of model here. I have a bunch of different uh, levels at which you can support on, on Patreon, and I think that's important because I want you to feel like you are getting good value for your contributions. I want you to pay this show what you think it's worth. So if you think it's worth a dollar a month, I'm grateful to have that. If you think it's $5 a month, I'm grateful to have that too. Either way, you're going to get access to the bonus content that we post and our Discord server. You'll have the opportunity to interact with Packers fans from all over the world. And I'd just be grateful for your support in that arena. I understand it's not for everybody, but if, you, if you'd like to pay what you want, I'd be grateful to have that too. So patreon.com slash thepowersweep is the place you do that. Uh, chip in any amount per month that you like. I will uh, hopefully see you there soon. All right, questions. Again, we got a bunch of questions from a, d- a bunch of different people. I don't think we're going to be able to get to all of the the individual ones here uh, because we do get kind of kind of hyper specific on a couple of these down to individual players. But I want to take as many as we can here. The first one comes from James Kidd uh, via Patreon. He says, "John, hello. I have a comment about Rogers passing on the last two downs going for the tie. It looked to me like watching the behind the quarterback replay." Like Rodgers had no chance for those two passes being completed. Am I missing something on those two plays? I'm also getting sick of Rodgers' body language on the playing field and sidelines. Eye rolls, head shaking, grabbing his helmet, making me think Matt is not in control. Your thoughts. Body language stuff is not something I really want to get into a whole lot, but I agree. Sometimes it does look pretty bad. Uh, Rodgers uh, vocally, not vocally, but frequently, it seems to... um, well, voice his displeasure in ways that are a little bit passive-aggressive, and that I can see would, how, would be, how that would be a little bit annoying on the sidelines. Nevertheless, we don't know the entirety of the conversations going on there, so can't fully condemn or, you know, absolve Rodgers either way. As far as those last two plays, I think um, those are pretty strict RPO situations. If you look at the last one in particular— uh, on the on the broadcast replay, Josh Myers has blocked his man into the end zone by the time the ball hits the ground. It seems like run was the right call there. But if you look at the behind the quarterback replay, as James did here, uh, you can see pretty clearly that the the Giants are showing heavy, heavy support in the box. They're trying to force a pass there. They're showing, hey, we've got eight guys or whatever, however many guys up at the line of scrimmage. You don't have the numbers to make a run work here. So looking at it from a pure RPO perspective, pulling the ball is the play. You you do pull it and throw it there. Now, as it turned out, the blitz was somewhat disguised. They didn't necessarily bring more guys than the Packers could block anyway. The Packers probably would have gained two yards on that play had they decided to run it. The defense gets paid too. Rodgers made a bad call there, but you can judge the process or you can judge the outcome. The outcome was bad. The process was at least, I think, defensible there. This next one comes via email. Dave B. asks, really disappointed in the offense's second half performance in the game. Similar issues as at Tampa with zero points in the second half. As usual, I think Aaron Rodgers checks out of the run plays in the second half. 
Uh, the Packers had the ball at the Giants' 35, so you can't take a sack so Green Bay can kick a field goal. Aaron wasted timeout, then takes a sack. In the fourth quarter, down by a touchdown, Aaron had two tip balls on third and fourth and goal. Game over. I'm really concerned that Rodgers doesn't play within the system and lacks the discipline to work the ball down the field. This becomes very evident in the second half of games. Any thoughts on this? I'm worried about another choke job by Aaron in the playoffs. Might be time to usher in the Jordan Love era. Well, hate to disappoint if you think Jordan Love is coming along, but he's. this is not, we're not starting the Jordan Love era anytime soon. As long as Aaron Rodgers is on the roster, he's going to be playing. Uh, in the offseason, that's maybe a different conversation. But as for right now, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback until the Packers are are done. And at the present rate, that may be sooner rather than later, but they're going to go down with Aaron Rodgers because he gives them the best chance to win. As far as Rodgers playing within the offense, that's been a problem basically his entire career. Aaron Rodgers is so smart as a player that he can get away with doing things that are not within the structure of the offense. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right now it's not working, and you've got a case there if uh, if you want to criticize Rodgers there for that. But um, on the other hand, when it works, it works really, really well. And overall, if the offense can continue to operate within some kind of structure, well, then you're still pushing things in the right direction. As far as the sack, I know the player you're talking about, the Packers did have the ball at the Giants' 35. Would have been a long field goal anyway, but Rodgers can't take the sack. You're right. However, go back and look on that play. Royce Newman gets absolutely eaten alive. Yes, Rodgers can't take a sack there. Rodgers would have had to throw the ball in about one second to avoid taking the sack there. It's not pretty, but that's why things happen the way they did on that particular play. We've got a unique one for the next one. Rashad comes in with, a, well, an audio question. And if you check in your show notes on this and every other episode of Blue 58, you will see an opportunity to contribute your own audio question via a service we use called SpeakPipe. But I'll get out of the way and let Rashad ask his question. Here we go. Listen, why are we blaming Joe Barry for what Matt LaFleur allows? How is this man evading all the criticism? It's his team. And if he ain't in control and you're going to tinfoil hat and tell me that Rogers is in control secretly and making all these decisions so the floor can't do what he wants, then how good of a head coach is he if he can't get control of the ball club? I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. It has to stop. Rashad raises some good points there, and this is part of a a larger message that he sent along. You're limited to about 90 seconds on every one of those messages that you send via SpeakPipe. Rashad actually sent me three. I picked the best 30 seconds or so there, but he lays out a bunch of good points about Matt LaFleur not consistently facing criticism. In short, I think that's his question. How come LaFleur never really seems to get any criticism? He does. <laughs> Rashad said this in another part of his question, and I really appreciate it. He, he talks about how you know the Packers come out, have a bad game. What do we see from Matt LaFleur? Picture it in your head before I, I, I let you in on what Rashad said here. Picture in your head. What, is, what does Matt LaFleur do after the Packers have a loss? He comes to the podium and he says, oh, this is on me. You know, I got to be better. I got to make better decisions, blah, blah, blah. He takes all the, all the blame. And that might be true. But when do you go from taking the blame to making substantive changes? And Matt LaFleur does kind of seem almost tired and worn out sometimes. Burned out? I don't know. But there's a bunch of different decisions that I think you can fairly criticize Matt LaFleur Four. We talk about the RPO-based offense. That's coaching. We talk about hiring Joe Barry. That's coaching. 
You talk about trying to stick with Amari Rodgers for reasons unknown. That is coaching. You talk about continuing to put Royce Newman out there on the offensive line despite the liability that he continues to be week in and week out. That, too, is a coaching thing. Aaron Rodgers won't want run the offense how uh, Matt LaFleur wants it. Whose fault is that? Matt LaFleur does deserve criticism here. There are problems that Matt LaFleur has had with this offense that circle back to Matt LaFleur. You can talk about execution. You can talk about Aaron Rodgers not making correct decisions. That is true, too. But if Matt LaFleur wants the offense run a certain way and it's not being run that way, whose fault is that ultimately? It's Matt LaFleur. And I think Rashad raises a good question here uh, about how come LaFleur doesn't seem to take questions. Because I think it does seem that way sometimes. Everyone wants to blame Aaron Rodgers. Everyone wants to blame you know, execution or the offensive line or stuff like that. Well, a lot of those things stem back to the guy making those decisions. And that guy is is Matt LaFleur. Serb Packer writes in in our Discord server, after this defeat, I have a million questions, but here's one. Who's responsible for drives in this game and the last game that were just passes and resulted in three and outs? Matt LaFleur or Aaron Rodgers or both? I think now we've given other teams a recipe for how to beat us. This specific game, it seems like, Matt LaFleur was responsible for the three and out drive that was all passes. It didn't, from his telling of it, sound like it was him checking out of plays, although there was one RPO in there. The second down play to to Randall Cobb was an RPO, and if he doesn't drop that, it's a great play. But the Packers wanted to go deep there, and I think looking at this game, it was pretty clear that the Packers just wanted to pass. On the Packers' first drive of this game, they came out in empty sets twice after motion, sure, they were lining up with nobody in the backfield other than Aaron Rodgers. They wanted to throw the ball, and they were going to throw the ball. And they threw the ball and threw it poorly, and it ended up not working out particularly well for the Packers. So in this particular instance, I think it's on both of them. Sometimes it's on Rodgers. Sometimes it's on LaFleur. I think both of them share some blame on this one. We'll close with two questions from old Packers fan. First, he writes, with Watson taking kickoff reps from Amari Rodgers, is Rodgers getting closer to no role with the Packers? Second, is Sammy Watkins eligible to return after the Jets game or after the Commanders game? Any recent Watkins health news? On Watkins, I best I can tell he's eligible after the Jets game. Judging from what people said around the time he was hurt, this doesn't sound like a four-week and comeback sort of injury. It sounds like he might be out a while. So, I'm not holding my breath that he comes back after the Jets game, but he was, <laughs> up until the time he got hurt, the Packers' most productive receiver and looked like he was really stepping into the into a role there uh, against the Bears. On Watson, it's unfortunate that he happens to be hurt now, but it looks like Omari Rodgers is edging closer, if he's not there already, to having no role for the Packers. Zach Cruz of Packers Wired did a great piece today on Amari's situation with the Packers, and he pointed out this absolutely mind-boggling stat. After Amari's fumble on Sunday, he has four fumbles in his career. After Sunday, Amari Rodgers has played five snaps on offense in this season. He's in a legitimate race between fumbles as a punt returner and offensive snaps this season. If you want to break it down further, just say that he has two fumbles as a as a kick returner or as a punt returner this year, and there have been 
I think at least three games where he hasn't even had two snaps from scrimmage. He doesn't have a role on this Packers team. And if he's losing kickoff returns, it's just one of the two small things that he still does getting taken away from him. I wrote a piece a couple years back about Darius Shepard returning punts for the Packers and said a lot of things about him that sound very similar to where we're at with Amari Rodgers. He's small. He's slow. He's inconsistent as a returner. You can't count on him on offense. It just doesn't seem like there's a, a spot for him on this Packers team, and yet he's on the roster, and yet you keep rolling him out there every Sunday. But it doesn't seem like there's a way forward. And I wonder if that's indicative of where the Packers are at as a whole. You've got clear decisions you need to make, clear things that need to change. Are those things actually going to change, though? We've seen them take an awful long time and not do anything differently with one really obvious thing in Amari Rogers. What kind of confidence do you have that anything else, anywhere else on this team, is going to change? That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That helps more people find the show and gets more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, this awesome football team that occasionally embarrasses us terribly. And of course, getting more people involved in this conversation is a great way to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.